Welcome to the Rev Thinking Podcast. This week, we are giving you a peek at the weekly briefing. What's that? It's the live stream where every week, Tim Thompson and myself, Joel Pilger, go live to discuss the latest trends and hot topics affecting creative business owners for free. Our goal is to give you knowledge and tools needed to succeed in our rapidly evolving industry. So look for a link in the episode description, and we hope to see you at our next edition of The Weekly Briefing. Welcome, everybody, to The Weekly Briefing. I'm Joel. I'm joined by Tim and all of you. And The Weekly Briefing, for anyone that's new here today, is really a 30-minute chunk of time that Tim and I set aside every week to bring studio and production company owners together and talk about what's going on right now. What's the hot news? What's the latest trend? What's the thing that we're seeing that we want everyone to be aware of? And today, Tim, it's this question of we're hearing right a lot of rumors and news and some specific things, which by the way, we're going to get into in the nitty gritties tomorrow in Confab. So for anyone that doesn't know about that, Let's make sure to mention that later because that's open to everybody tomorrow. But people are starting to ask this question about, wow, I've got to maybe make some adjustments and changes. And I'm looking at my team and I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute, when and how and why? So there's a lot to process here, Tim. And that's 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 the agenda. Yeah, probably the most direct trigger is, I don't know, call it gossip or news that has spread in the last seven days of different larger agencies that are doing Sounds like major layoffs. Thirty percent of their workforce, uh, were part of the workforce in in Chicago, um, and some of these bigger firms is you know the question of a canary in the coal mine. Is it really that bad? Because we imagine that these bigger bigger firms are being hit. Aren't the smaller ones going to be hit also? Um, and we see things a little bit differently. I think we see we have um, clients all over the spectrum. And we're kind of seeing a different pattern than just like the big news, but definitely a question of this very valuable asset that we have, our employees, and the thought process of laying them off is kind of scary. So how do we know how to preserve them and maybe even um, take actions ourselves to adjust our team if we have to? So Tim and I talked a little bit before this as we were preparing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be almost the... Um, vi- you can vicariously ask questions through me. So I'm going to pretend like I'm running my studio again. And then I'm going to lean on you, Tim, as the consultant. So you're going to be Mr. Smarty Pants that's going to answer all my questions, right? Right. (laughs) So um, that said, as we're going along, if you have comments, um, even little bits of news or data that you want to share, if you have a question you want me to forward on uh, to Tim, please drop it in the chat and I'll, I'll try and respond to it. So Tim, let me just first maybe normalize a lot of what a lot of people are just feeling right? Like there's this question of why do I feel nervous? Why do I feel scared? Right? Is it because in a way what we're doing is we're extrapolating, right? We see this news and then we are probably also looking at some data from maybe clients that postponed or this job got canceled. And then I start going, wait a minute, are these indicators? And is, you know, one plus one plus one, three, and oh my God, what do I do? So can you maybe just help me normalize what is it that I'm feeling? Yeah, um, some of it is confirmation bias and some of it's a reality check to what is actually happening. Months ago, we talked about just the the pace at which jobs were being rewarded seemed to um, take a different pace and mean a different pattern. So 
all of a sudden our accounts receivables were out of whack what were what had been coming in for the pre- previous you know 36 months let's say mm-hmm. um, and we don't really see it right there in that moment the jobs awarded in that AR moment isn't something we immediately feel because we have current projects in house and current accounts receivable so those future ones 30 60 90 days out from when we're first recognizing the pattern isn't really rec- recognized so I think because that happened later last year, coming into possibly a normal January and February season for agencies, you have a, an unusual amount of, um, or I should say unusual lack of cash that you usually have in your pockets. And I think that gives you that first stressful moment. And that's where we were saying a few weeks ago, hey, get on your cash board, look at your cash flow, understand your personal pattern and what this might mean to you. Um, the other is it seemed like there was a hunger for the last few years of agencies easily being awarded projects, more work than you can keep up with, and trying to find team members as fast as possible. And we were even, in some cases, paying rates that were higher than market rates because we felt a desperate need for a team. And now when we hear something, again, maybe even a confirmation bias for some of the small agencies, but we hear something of larger firms laying off talent where... For the last two years, we've been competing with these larger firms that have been taking our talent. We all of a sudden ask the question, whoa, is that me too? Should I be worrying about this? And that's a really good question you should be asking yourself. Hey, should you be worrying about this? What do you see on your cash board? How do you recognize your burn rate and your team and the project load that you have? And do you possibly need to make adjustments? So one thing that, I'm again, I'm going to pretend like I'm the running my, my old agency. Um, one thing I used to keep an eye on, and I'm curious if this is a good indicator, is I would just track total AR, meaning I would say at accounts receivable at any one time, I like to have four hundred to 500000 in accounts receivable, just kind of all the time. And throughout the year, it might go up at certain seasons, might go down at certain seasons, but that was like a really simple, just like, okay, our sales pipeline is converting and we have you know, runway. Um, is that a good indicator? Should people be looking at that, tracking that and noting the a shift in that trend? Yeah, that's one of the first places we get to see this trend shift. So the way we do it, similar to what you what you're talking about, Joel, is we'll say, hey, there's a total accounts receivable due. And that would be um, invoices that are currently aging, meaning they're invoices you've sent to the client or future invoices that you know you're going to send at the delivery of a project. We total that up, the total project accounts receivable that's, uh, that's remaining. And then we subtract from that how much is actually in the, po- in the hands of the clients. So those that are, are aging. And when we di- have that difference between the total and then the aging amount, we get a percentage of what's aging or flip it the other way, what's kind of outstanding and will be in the future aging, that remaining balance that's not yet aging is kind of a long-term savings account for you. Because you know eventually that AR will go into circuit and will come in. But if I could cash flow my all, my entire company right now with what is only aging, I get this like extra cushion. When that goes away, when 100% of your AR is aging, that's the first indicator of, whoa, I long-term sales and long-term projects aren't coming in. Um, so I need to start recognizing there's a difference in my sales pattern there. 
And then, right, Joel, then you say the total amount. I'm usually used to seeing two to three to 400,000 in total AR, and I'm currently seeing 200,000 or 100,000. Absolutely different ball game for you. So let me switch my hat for a second. Um, I'll be the... Uh... I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the consultant right now for a quick second. Oh, you're literally switching your hat, aren't you? <laughs> yes. yes. Well, the reason yeah, is tour I'm to consultant is that the two hats are. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, exactly. But I'm thinking of a couple owners that I work with um, that are clients of mine that we track sales pipelines. So we have a sales pipeline, for example, like in pipe drive and at any, and at a glance, I can see how many deals and what the rough value of all those deals are in the total pipeline. Now, none of those have converted. So they're not yet AR. But it is kind of interesting to just notice things like, huh, at any one time, our sales pipeline, we like to have a million to a million and a half, knowing we're only going to win third or so of that. But it's interesting to note, huh, we have more deals, but they're a lot smaller. Or we have fewer deals that are a lot larger. Or we have neither. You know, We have less deals and less money. That's also, again, I know it's a little hard to get at that data. But for those of you that have a sales pipeline, just know that that is another, you know, like, you know, Okay, what's what's shifting? Maybe a few months down the road, you can actually start to get a sense of some of that. Yeah, the another thing you could look at is the sales cycle. So, how long from the time that you recognize the lead till that it actually is awarded? Maybe a traditional time span: three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, something like that. And then, where you're recognizing, well, that initial lead to actually award when it got stretched out—that's what we're seeing a few months ago. Oh, it's eight, twelve, sixteen weeks from when they originally heard about it to projects put on pause was one of the first words we heard. But yeah. then the decision points seemed to spread out to their awarding. So the steps between projects took longer. Oh, wait, is that all of a sudden you realize, oh, those, that it, those invoices aren't going to come in at the same pace. My team's not going to be utilized at the same pace. And that's just your salespeople telling you, when you heard that news, you were really busy. So we're saying, hey, we're seeing something. And you're probably feeling like, well, it's not true for me. I'm busy right now. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. now that we're 30 or uh, 60, 90 days from that moment, you, people are starting to really understand what that pattern shift has meant to them. So just to go back to the what feelings we're processing, I will say this, um, because I think a lot of owners here struggle with this. Think of it this way. As an entrepreneur, as a business person, we love yeses. We don't like no's, but we hate maybes the most. And so I want to normalize for everybody here. And Tim, maybe you can tell me why, like when somebody says, yes, the project is yours. I'm like, great. When they say no, I'm like, okay, that sucks. But at least I can act on that. And then there's this, oh, it's postponed. We're not sure. We might go in a different direction. It's on hold. What is it about that? Yeah, I think it falls in the same as like the, the lost adversion where you feel like it's so close. And so we do this really weird thing where we it's so close that we double focus. It's almost like when, you, when you've lost a hand at gambling, you double down trying to get it back. Something that's close, you lean into it more because it's just so close. It's just so close. But what you're really doing are distracting yourself from future opportunity. It's in sales. If they would have just say no, it would fail fast and you move on and you jump over to the next lead. Or if they say yes, obviously you win, but you jump over to the next lead. That maybe is making you hang on longer to something. That's just a maybe. So you can leave the maybe where it is and turn and focus on the next lead. I think it's really hard for salespeople to do that because they love the wins so much. They're so close to that, that good feeling. Why would I walk away when it's just sitting right there at my doorstep? But well, there really is that like 
necessity to get back to that focus, looking at the regular sales cycle and stick with it. Tim, you just totally shattered my blackjack theory. Because whenever I'm playing blackjack, I always think I can't win. I'm sorry, I can't lose another hand because I just lost five in a row. And there's something in me called eventually I have to hit. So I just, if I just put more money down, more money down, more money down, I'll eventually get all my money back. And for some reason, I never get all my money back. When I was in New York City, uh, a guy jumped on with the three ball trick. And uh, as he jumped on, I showed my ki- I told my kids, hey, watch what's happening. The trick is not with the guy at the three balls. The trick is the two guys he's planted in the, tr- in the train that gamble with them and show like it's possible to win. So then you get the, the third person or the fourth person that's not part of the pack to gamble and that person loses. So it's this thought process that you can create a bias that you're so close or you always win or whatever, and you're not looking at the big picture reality. That's, that's what we have to focus on. We actually know how to do our job. We just have to stick with our discipline of knowing how to do it and keep the process moving. It really is the key to uh, that kind of success. Okay. So man, I almost feel like someday we should just unpack that mindset, but that's a whole briefing unto itself. So just to keep this going forward. So how, if I'm an owner, I'm looking at my numbers and I'm starting to say, okay, maybe there is a pattern here. Maybe there is a trend. I'm also looking at the news and starting to infer from what I'm seeing in the news. How do I even begin to process this question of, I really want to preserve my team, but maybe I need to make some tough choices. Yes. The first temperature check, right? Which is what I'm most proud about the community doing. I feel people are being very honest and transparent. Weeks ago, people have been saying things. I think Eric put something out there uh, in December, it felt like, hey, is it slow? And there's been open and ominous conversation to let you think. So you're not just functioning in a bubble. You get a sense of what other people are doing, other people are processing, and you get a reality check for yourself. So you're not just um, floating in your head that way. Um, but then when the time comes, you have to, the idea of preservation is important. You know, one of the interesting things when you're talking about a staff person is there's like a double-edged sword where one, this person has a burn rate for your company. So you're thinking, no matter what, I have to pay this individual if they're working or not. That feels very stressful. So if I want to, your art thought process is, if I want to get rid of the stress, why don't I get rid of that burn rate? Why don't I remove remove the staff people that I'm required to pay every other week out of my books so I don't have to worry about it? I want to deal with freelancers is what we think. But the staff person traditionally costs a little bit less. And in reality, we in our brain, we say that person is $100,000 a year. And we imagine when we're looking at um, laying that person off, we're saving $100,000. In reality, we're not. We're saving about $5,000 every payroll. So when you realize what little impact uh, removing staff is from your cash flow over a short period of time, three, four months, really, it's probably one of the worst places to start doing um, adjustments. It's better to actually go to those direct costs because... Those are costs that aren't yet spent on a project. You can recommit your team or readjust the creative or manage your client's expectation differently and cut back, gain more profit, gain more margin on those projects. That's the first place you should be looking is what are direct costs that are very dynamic that I can function with first. That's the first place you should be looking. It's often in freelancers, but And we know that freelancers are specialists, but it's often there. But rethink your opportunities, all the opportunities to get that project delivered with the team you currently have first before you start um, letting go of your team. 
So there was a there was an email you sent earlier today that was giving advice <laughs> to one of your clients uh, owners that I was copied on, and I was like, I'm going to grab that and pretend like you gave me that advice. And it was one of those oh yeah moments for me when <laughs> again being the the studio owner, you said adjust your splits. Like look at that ratio of how you spend, what you spend on direct costs versus indirect cost. Because what's again, amazing is you could adjust your splits by 1%. Nobody would know. I mean, your producers probably wouldn't even know or care. You could adjust it by 5% or 10%. You know, your producers are probably going to feel it and your team might feel it a little bit, but your clients might not feel it at all. And remember, if your clients are spending less, they get less. So Again, maybe I'm, I'm now I'm preaching to myself, but what's your, what's your advice on that? Yeah, I also said to them directly, do not invest in projects this moment. There is no project at all that you should be working on that should take any kind of loss, period. Don't overspend, don't overspend, and don't overspend. That's clear, right? So the client gave you a budget, work within the budget your client gave you. If the client wants more, they can give you more money. But right now, they're giving you a budget. Do not think that, oh, I need to invest and spend. I hope I win this client and all those things we tell ourselves. This is not the season to do it at all. So by looking at those splits, knowing what's possible, viable to deliver that project and delivering within the minimum amount of of cost, major effort, minimum cost to get that done, this is the time to do it. It might just be two months. It might be a little edgy for everybody, but this two or three months is going to make all the difference when you look at those numbers that way. Well, when I think of adjusting the splits, maybe here's a really simple example. Because if you said to me, Joel, adjust your splits by 5%. If I'm doing my math right, if if I had an artist that was going to work on something for 40 hours and we adjust the splits by 5%, that person is now working two less hours on that project. Did I do, did I do the math right? Yeah. And then you, that's when you realize, oh, getting something done in 40 hours versus 38, that, that is not a big cheese move. Like that is pretty easy. But on a million dollar company, right? 5% is a $50,000 swing on, a, on the year. So that, that adjustment can have a big impact as it plays out over time. So one thing you could think of when you're, when you're putting your projects together too, is think of it as a four-day work week instead of a five-day work week. It's not that you're, you can literally have your clients only work, I mean, your employees only work four days if that's within the structure. But I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is when you're scheduling out the project, imagine that project being a three-week project and taking 12 days instead of 15 days when doing it. The clients don't know any better. You're still meeting the same milestone deliverables for them. They're thinking that you're on pace, but that's a 20% cut in, in uh, resources to get the project done. And it's a subjective deliverable that you have, especially in post. Live action has some different elements to it. Live action, I would look at heavy billbacks for things. If I'm a business owner and I could produce a project, I'll probably produce one or two. This is just a season I'm going to roll up my sleeves and be the producer, the line producer on it because I need to capture that money and let that come into my own pocket to cover costs for a little while. Um, but I want my team, I want my equipment as working as much as possible before I go to rentals or other, other outside resources to get projects done. So something else I heard you say to me just then was, if I have a passion project that I'm investing in because it's going to be the cool thing on our sizzle reel that's going to go out next ball or something, you're, you basically told me, stop working on that right now. Pause. 
Pause right now. Okay. Because what we're talking about is preserving your team, right? If we're feeling this way, which that's the, I'm feeling very, a lot of compassion right now for business owners that are questioning, should I do something different? So I'm saying, if that's a question you have, just put that on pause for now. It's not going to go away. It doesn't disappear. There's nothing wrong if you take a three, two month break from that and then you pick it up, refresh your mind and refresh your team. And let's hope you're wrong. Let's hope you didn't need to put anything on pause. But if you're feeling that way, there are some things you can do for 60 or 90 days and live out this season. In 90 days, you can let things go again, get back to normal, take that cushion of cash you have, actually even acquire team members if there's people available with with the layoffs that are happening, build your team up to be stronger even. But we got to take advantage of the moment we have and and work with the time that we have to uh, get ahead of these issues if that's something we're facing. So are there's again, I'm going to be the owner asking here, are there some in-between or halfway measures I can take? Like I've heard people talk about, you should furlough this person. What is that? Or you can, can maybe convert this person to part-time or, or uh, convert somebody to freelance. Are those options I should be considering? Yeah. I mean, I would, if, if you know that you are going to work with your team and readjust and adjust your team, you know, there's every, every business book will tell you some of this stuff, but this is some of like the 80, 20 principles or, you know, kind of uh, refreshing your team in such a way of like, you know, which team members ha- are, it, you know, have gone beyond their capability with your business. And, and you probably have been saying for half a year or something, ah, when the time comes, well, this might be a good time just to do that. Hey, let's, let's trim down now or be that critical business owner at this moment. We all hate this moment. This is so yucky to even want to have that conversation, but it's a reality of business. It's business ownership. And that's why we have the community. Okay. Like start a separate breakout group, DM people, have private conversations, but walk through this with each other because these are hard moments and hard times to be making that decision. But let's do that. Any Anywhere you know that you that there's somebody that's not performing the way you want to, let's just start there. Um, there are also people that you know could use a break or should take a break. And that's the opportunity for furlough. Furlough is one where you get to say, hey, for a time being, for the next 30 days, I'm going to put you on furlough and you'll come back and work with the company when it's done. Um, what it does, it doesn't break the contract. It doesn't break their employment. It retains them, but it gives them a necessary break and you necessary break from having someone on board. Um, that's a very uh, uh, also viable opportunity. Um, as I said, you can actually cut people's days back. Hey, I'm going to cut your time in your day. This is a, you know, instead of like re- removing a few team members, maybe we all make adjustments. I've seen companies do this successfully. Everyone was happy to maintain the team and take a 20% hit for three months and then jump back in when we needed to. So I know um, that's the opportunity that some companies have that culture and they can adjust um, before you go to direct layoffs um, of large groups of people. And by the way, I'm seeing um, like a question from Linda about how might that affect health insurance. And I'm just going to guess it all depends, right? Because if you're on a um, PEO, right, it's going to have its certain terms and conditions if your policy, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's a blanket answer to that. Yeah, some of the reason you do furlough is you can retain, right? You're saying some benefit uh, carriers allow you to retain that person, um, adjust some hours. Think of it as like a part-time employee or a, a staff person going to an hourly or day rates um, for that 30 days or 60 days that you're going to do it. Usually furloughs are not that long, 30 days at maximum. Um, If you're going to go beyond beyond 30 days, you're usually doing a layoff and then rehiring um, just for 
you know, probably the reality of what that person needs to be thinking about in their own life. Right. Um, but some people in your company can and want to um, walk away for a minute. And if they knew that they had security of coming back, they might be willing to work with you, take a furlough, come back and give you um, a release of, of some cash flow needs for the 30 days. Yeah. All right. So we have, wow, we have like three minutes left. Okay. So now we're down to like the really, really tough question, which is when is it time? let somebody go. So here's the hard news of this one, right? Laying people off actually costs you money because there's often severance. So that first week you're laying off, you actually might be paying twice the payroll in that same week. So where people make the biggest mistake is they wait way, way, way too long to lay off team members and they don't have the money to do the layoffs, which you you can imagine how critical that is. And that's often when companies kind of fold. They don't know what to do in that moment. Um, So they fold. You don't have to get to that point, but there are moments and times where you say, hey, the reality is we're not the same size company. We're not getting the revenue that we're used to for the last three years and four years. I thought we were a $4 million firm. We're actually a $3 million firm and we have to readjust our team. That's a great place to start because you want to have the strongest team possible going into a leaner um, position. But often your biggest savings are the high ticket items. And so you really have to think critically of who you're going to be as a company in order to walk through this season? And then who do you want to be after this season? So for some of you, some of the, some of the larger people, your executive producers, senior producers, um, creative directors, art directors, if you're a larger firm, you might have a lot of, lot of people at the higher price item and you realize, wow, coming out of this, I don't think I need that large of a, of a leadership team. That's where you're going to go. And others you'd say, I've kind of been gathering people around I've doubled my team size and not really getting that much more production out of my team. Okay, now you just across the board can uh, figure out which team members and the timing of it based off of project, project leads and time. And in some cases, to be honest, the best thing to do is pull off the Band-Aid. You you have one really bad day and you do large layoffs. Um, And when that happens, call us first because you're going to need someone to hold your hand and walk you through it. It's it's not a great day. you know, imaginary forces that we did it once a year. Sometime in October, it felt like there was large layoffs once a year, 20%, 30% of the company is being laid off. And I know that feeling. Mm. So I have a lot of compassion and worry for that. But that's that's really far down the line. Before you, There are plenty of opportunities you have to make adjustments before you get to that point. Now I'm going to throw you a softball. If I'm evaluating those decisions, I've made a decision and I'm like, okay, I have to let this person and maybe that person go, how am I going to view the impact of how that plays out? Are you talking about on your team or on projects or for clients? Just financially. Like how, how, do, how do I actually look at this and say, oh, if I make this decision, here's how it's going to affect this. Here's how I know a month or two from now I can survive. Yeah. So on my cashboard, I have a payroll line right there on my cashboard. And I know how many employees I have that make up that line item. I'll say for example, six employees and what their rates are. So from that point on in my cash board, when I adjust one or two of my employees, I can see that a rate adjustment plugged on my cash board looking into the future. So I might be saving $15,000 every pay period, uh, letting go of some of my team members. I can see now what my cash structure is. And I I guess what I'm saying is I know the season we're in, this is not, this might be the time to be letting somebody go, even if you're cash positive for the next three months. Still, if you know you're not getting the work out of somebody, this is a good time to to 
really stay in a cash position and stay strong. So you might need to be doing some of that critical thinking, even if your company can get through this 30 days, 60 days, 90 days without letting somebody go. You've just listened to a sample of the weekly briefing in which Tim Thompson and myself, Joel Pilger, were providing creative business owners with knowledge and tools they need to succeed in the rapidly evolving creative industries. Look for a link in the episode description and feel free to join us live every week. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.